We wish you a Merry Christmas. This is the A to Z Podcast. I'm Zach Jackson. He's Andre Knott. A to Z Podcast.com. Facebook.com slash A to Z Podcast. At Dre Knott, at Akron Jackson. On most of your favorite social media platforms. Shouts, as always, to Scene, to the Honeymoon Grill, to American Fireworks for helping this thing grow. AmericanFireworks.com, always open. Um, not only do they do gift certificates, if you're like me and in the market for some last-minute Christmas gifts, but they've been known to help you out, hook you up when you go there and you tell them A to Z sent you. We love hookups. We love Christmas. We love ham. Hi, Andre. Hi. Hi, Zach. Are you still shopping? (laughs) (laughs) It's only, let me tell you, it's only Tuesday. It's only the 22nd, but I've already eaten a shit ton of ham this week. (laughs) Uh, I haven't done ham, but I've ate a lot of cookies. You know, I hate to say this, and I hate to admit this, but, I mean, it's part of who we are. Two fat kids from And, you know, I, I got this iPhone. I got, like, this new iPhone. It's one of the gifts I got for Christmas already. And they have, like, and everybody gets this. So, like, you know, like, pictures, you know, this picture, random pictures pop up, you know, to, to remind you of certain things from, like, a year ago, like, two years ago, or, like, four years ago this date. Well, yesterday or today, I opened up my phone, and it had one from this year. And it was back, it was, like, on March 9th. Um, before the world went to shit. And I look so skinny and I look so good in it. And so as we're eating dinner today, because I don't look like that right now, I'll admit. So as we're eating dinner today, Isabella had her mom's phone and another picture popped up of me and my father-in-law. Uh, this is like in July of this year. She's like, Dad, you look so different back in July than you do for right now. <laughs> and I pull up the other picture and I go, and I go, man, I don't know what the difference is. And my daughter goes, well, maybe it's the 15 cookies you ate yesterday, Dad. They were supposed to go to everybody else's gifts, but you ate them all, and we got to make more. <laughs> it's only Christmas once a year. <laughs> <laughs> and I love them cookies. <laughs> yes, I do too. Um, you know, I really don't eat sweets. Like, I, I, I'm very, you know, I know I, for one, I know I have enough uh, enough other bad habits, but I've never really been like a sweet tooth person, you know, overeat in other ways. Right. But right. Right. Like, but you know, as I've gotten older, go ahead, go ahead. Well, like a good homemade Christmas cookie with some white icing, Uh, like you can't eat one, right. You got to have at least three. Oh, 15. That's what I I had. That's what I was eating at my house. The kids made them when we were, man, I had the best weekend ever. I didn't do anything and I'm sure I gained 20 pounds. And it literally, I mean, it may be 15 pounds because they start making Christmas cookies on Saturday. And I literally sat on a couch chair in my house. And I'm not bragging, but I kind of am. Zach, I watched from noon until 2 a.m. Saturday and basically did the same thing on Sunday as they make cookies and, and make Christmas stuff. And I just ate cookies all day Saturday and Sunday, drank alcohol on Saturday, drank beer on Sunday, and felt like a blob on Monday. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you got to do it. Right. But you got to sweat it out. Um, (laughs) well, I got a, I got, yeah, I bought it. I got an elliptical now for my basement that I'm putting together. So I got my bike and I got the elliptical. It's it's time to, um, get back in, in, in beginning of 2020 shape. I came into 2020 ready, man. I really did. And to start off our congrats and congrats, I give a congrats to Andre after July. I give a congrats. Do I drink before July? I was, just, I was <laughs> best way to kick it off, man. I get both. <laughs> um, congrat to Auburn University, who paid Gene Chizik twenty some million to leave and hired Brian Harson from Boise State, who's obviously a good coach. But like yes. now, he's got to come to a different region of the country, got an entirely different salary cap now. And like, yeah. you paid the guy twenty million to leave, and you hired Brian Arson. Um, yeah. And congrats back here on the home front to Bo Pelini, who a year ago left his job at Youngstown State when he was really getting paid by Nebraska for all but one of those years to go be the defensive coordinator at LSU. I've had, you know, people know who Bo is. Um, I've had one personal interaction with him. I got to tell you, he could not have been more pleasant, nice, low key. Um, he made a lot of money from Nebraska. He got fired for really no reason. He came and did a wonderful job at YSU. It was time to go back out in the world. After one year, it didn't go well. LSU fired him. They owed him 
Seven, he had seven million guaranteed. They owe him five point one to leave. That's not a congrats, Jerry. That is a congrats. Oh. Merry Christmas to the Polini family yeah. and everybody involved with Bo Polini and the University of Mooney. Yeah, I don't <laughs> University of Mooney, baby. <laughs> I don't know Bo personally, but I have friends that uh, that are very close to him. I, I, all the words you said, I'm exactly there with you, with you on that completely. Um, and not to go away from congrats, congrats, but I believe in a lot of ways for places like Youngstown State to truly prosper. They need people like Bo Pelini to do the things that he's done, right? He, was, he wasn't so full of himself. He was able to use that Nebraska money, come home, help out the local college, help out Trestle, uh, and keep them formidable for a couple of years, get a couple of kids in the league, graduate some kids, and then he can do it again if, if necessary and if he wants to because of LSU. I ask this question because, really, I'm going to do this. I'm going to double up on this congrats, congrats. Um, but it's really more congrats to the NCAA overall. You guys know how we feel about the NCAA. I just don't understand, and this isn't the NCAA's complete fault, but there's a lot of holes or chinks in the armor uh, with the NCAA. I don't understand how in a state, a state in the state of Louisiana, how in 2020, Zach, you can afford uh, to just throw $7 million in the wind. This is just with everything going on within our country and within states like Louisiana. Um, and, I, and Lord knows, I do not want to be the policeman of anything. But I think at some point in time, this is getting, like, this is getting ridiculous, You're too man. fat to be a cop. Like, yeah, shit. The way they eat donuts, I fit right in. You kidding me? Um, and that's a joke. I don't start with me. I'm not in the mood. Because um, it's a congrats to you racists all out there, too. You best believe I'm going to get to y'all asses. Um, all I'm saying about the NCAA is this, though. Like, you talk about my man coming from Boise State to Auburn. He all got a chance in hell to out-recruit Alabama. Like, 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 that, that's, like all right, who can he... Who can he hire that's going to give him a chance to walk in to the homes of kids from in Birmingham, Alabama, in twenty twenty in February twenty twenty one? Seriously, right? Like, how is he going to walk into Hoover High School and have any pull? And they, like, it, like that's just doing it backwards. Like, and I don't know. Well, uh, I, I know what you're saying, and you're mostly right. Um, Auburn as a program carries big time cachet, right? Their facilities are is good, and they've no they've doubt. put guys in the league. I mean, what'd they pay? Two hundred thirty thousand for Cam, and that was the underpay of the century. Like that was yeah, that was down low. Yeah, so right. I mean, walking into the SEC where Alabama's king and Georgia's been really good, and LSU is only one year separated from a national championship. Yeah, it's it's hard, but to your base, Auburn still has that cachet. And cash um, still is king. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just I say feel that. You. I feel you. I, I feel you. I just think that there's got to be – you just – all right, let's talk SEC. And just overall, just SEC football. As much as we claim, and we have this in the clamoring, and we know it's coming the next week and a half, the clamoring that we have of it being the best football conference, and I think we agree. You just hit on something that I think is very eye-opening – People really don't pay attention. Alabama is king, has been king for now, going on over a decade now with Saban, give or take. Prior yeah. to Saban, SEC, in my opinion, and, I, and I'm thinking this off the top of my head, prior to Saban, the SEC was like a three-headed monster, right? LSU was really good. Florida, like, think about it. Florida, like, you had, you had three or four major teams every year. Since Saban's came in, it's been Alabama, and then somebody else gets to play the prince to the king, and maybe if you pay Cam Newton enough, you, you give him enough that he can beat you that one year. Old Miss had a year or two, right? You know where they had these great was it Houston Nut that was in that was in yeah. Old Miss that got the great recruiting classes. I guess what I'm getting at is Saban has changed the game to what's the difference between the I'll give my I'll give my neighbor who I don't talk to a lot, but we talked about this the other day. He made a great point to me. We're at the point with this with this whole you know Final Four thing. It's basically one Ohio State, if they can win the Big Ten, Alabama, and the other SEC team that came close to trying to beat them. And then maybe we'll take a team, um, and then we get Clemson or an ACC team, right? Like, they, I just don't like how it's shaking out year in and year out. And is that just because those three programs are that much above and beyond everybody else, or, they got, or do they have a great system? Well, I would say yes. I, I would say I, I'm – I'd be nitpicking if I argued with any of your facts there. 
but I don't necessarily think it's bad. Does it get stale? Sure. But, like, the machine keeps churning, right? Um, yeah. I know. It's t- I, don't, I, I hate complaining about it because I love it. But it is times where it's eye-opening where – Well, right. Like, I, yeah, here's the thing. Like, as I get older, I find a lot of these arguments to be silly and tiresome, right? And then when I right. jump in, I might win them, but that's just because I'm smarter than most. Um, like, why to me, Dre – why was there ever an argument that Ohio State should be in the playoffs? Like, if you know anything about football, if you're just a casual fan, you know they're one of the most talented teams. You know they have cachet in terms of reach, in terms of putting guys in the league, in terms of having been there before. So, like, why was there any surprise or outrage or or combination of over the fact that as long as Ohio State's upright and has 52 healthy players – of course they're going to be in the playoff, right? That was fake. Yeah, yeah, but that was fake outrage. And that comes from and the problem that we have with these conversations and the problem that it comes off of some of these people about these committees is that you have favoritism, which is a natural occurrence in anything that we deal with in life, whether we admit it or not. Everybody plays favorites. And for whatever reason, Ohio State has grown stale to some people outside of the Big Ten region. To some people, the Big Ten still, and you know this like I know this, to some people, the big, it's just people in the South. I got family in the South. To them, we still are the big bone, slow offensive lineman, slow team that Urban Meyer's Florida team ran off the field. It just is what it is. They judge because you don't get judged just because of Ohio State when you look at our like you look at the conference, right? Like look at our like we make fun of the Big Ten right now. Penn State's not Penn State. Michigan, I don't know what Michigan is. This podcast has talked about the coach should be leaving any minute now, and they don't even want to do that. Um, like who can you brag about from the Big Ten? I, so I guess what I'm saying is. Look, Dabo Sweeney is putting his foot completely in his mouth. Not surprising. He's a jackass, and he's perfect for Clemson, right? He's perfect. He's the perfect person for there. Can he get away with all the crap he gets away with, you know, when the stuff he says at a school in the north? Probably not. Or out west? Probably not. But he's in the right place to say all the crap he does. So I just think when I heard those people speak on Ohio State, Zach, my long-winded answer is that's just pure, pure hate and pure I, I don't like the Buckeyes. That's what that is because you're right. They've got the talent. They got the one. Of the, they maybe have second, third most talented player left out of all the teams that are left. They are. It, and that's just hate. Just like, um, I guess I could say. I don't know if I'm growing a disdain for Clemson because I really did like them. Like, like two, three years ago, I loved all the receivers they were putting out. Um, but Dabo's making me not like them as much as I as I was not that long ago. Yeah, um, he's he's really unlikable. Let's be honest. <laughs> um, there's just different ways to approach some of the questions that he's um, right. been answered, right, and, and put his foot in his mouth. Yeah, you know, I, I would say this. You did a good job of characterizing the perception of Ohio State, but, I mean, we're minimum five and more like eight or nine years past that being anywhere close to reality. So idiots are going to think what idiots are going to think, right? Right, um, right. I wish Clemson wasn't in the ACC. I wish they were in the SEC. They are. And Dabo has built right. that program to the point where they have almost a free pass every single year. This year they hit a road bump, which all great programs do, because they're even though there's the, these are the three elite, elite programs, there are other great programs. Um, they got Trevor Lawrence back. They rallied. They whapped Notre Dame. I mean, they could have kept playing that game, and it was only going to get worse, right? And Notre yeah. Dame is a really good yeah. team. And Notre Dame kept it close for a quarter and a half. And then the dam broke, and that's what it was. Um, Right. You know, Ohio State has just gone and gotten so many good players. And a little like the top top of this conversation, right? They have a track record of putting them in the league. They have a strength system and all the facilities for everything they want. And you know you're going to get to play in the big marquee games there. And I just think – I just think this has been such a good week for Ohio State football. You win another Big Ten title. You do it mm-hmm. in some difficult circumstances where you got some key guys out. You know, you've been off the radar because of all that's gone on. So you get back on your net new national TV game and you win. You don't play great, but you do it. You make the playoff. And then all signs point to Michigan keeping Jim Harbaugh. Like, yeah. In, in, in Ohio State gets to go play Clemson in a true situation where nobody believes in them. Right, like, perfect. Yeah, it's, it's a perfect been really setup. good. You're right. <laughs> You're right. No, I'm glad you said it that way. It's the perfect setup. And can I say this? 
Um, and I know this isn't cool to say, and I know this doesn't get people to call the radio station. Um, it was hard for us to do it, me included. Northwestern played fucking good defense on Saturday. Yeah. They played hard. They played hard, and Ohio State needed a game like that. And I think they discovered Trey Sermon. He ain't gonna go for three thirty ever again. But he's the running back that fits this offense. And so even on our texting and our little thread that we had, I remember asking three weeks ago, the last time they played, I said to Sabo, I said, I said, hey Pete, what do you think of Sermon? Because that was like the first game, two, you know, the game before that one was the first game that they ran him a little bit. And I wasn't saying, you know, like I think this dude is gonna be the next Eddie George. But I remember kind of saying to Pete, I was like, I like Sermon. He runs hard, breaks tackles. This might be the kind of guy. And nothing against Master Teague because that name is, is, is dynamite. I never want to lose that name. Um, as a matter of fact, if AJ don't get his shit together, he might turn into Major, major, Pete, major League fan of that. I think, and, and, and I might be wrong, I think what occurred last Saturday for Ohio State is going to be a great thing. Their offensive line is not like the old typical offensive line that they have. Um, they've dealt with, you know, not having their number one receiver. It tells you how good Chris Olave is. I think Saturday was good, was a big day for them uh, in more ways than what you just brought up. I think finding out what you have in Trey Sermon is going to pay off very well over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, look, Clemson's a touchdown or more favorite, and that sounds right to me. But I, yep. I think, you know, it's the night game, first of all. It's the game everybody wants to watch, and you're going to watch it with a level of intrigue, right? There's going to be a ton of good players out there. Um, Ohio State just hasn't played, you know? Right, um, right. And it hasn't been the greatest month for Fields, but he did have his yeah. number one receiver taken away. They haven't played. Um, I give him a chance. His line, it, yeah, his line has been banged up and not together. They haven't played. I mean, right. I, I don't know what people, like, the, we'll get to the Browns. You know why the Browns are playing so well? They've got a nucleus that is all staying together and healthy for the most part, and they're growing together. Ohio State has no time to gel the way, and I hate bringing pros and college into it, but there's been no gelling to this. So let's knock on wood that all their guys practice for a week, week and a half. Uh, Christmas has got to be hard to deal with, with COVID and all the protocols and it being college kids and, and Christmas. Um, I just hope that all four of the, and like, and I'm past all of this, you know, fuck. Let me get back to this. I got to say this. Congrats to fucking COVID. Fuck you. You're right up there with cancer, you motherfucker. I can't wait till you go away and I can kick you in the ass and go to a bar and drink and yell and scream and be myself again. Anyway. Yeah, um, no, listen. Um, <laughs> I was talking to some friends today and in, in a group message, and the theme was, like, if the if it breaks down to where it's Brown Steelers Week 17 for all the marbles, and friends like, Ooh. it's on. Like, Browns Nation is back full force, like, just – absolutely here to stay fever pitch and i just text and i said yes and the bars will close at halftime <laughs> dude <laughs> and i wasn't I mean, trying to be a dick it's just right. yeah everything think of, sucks think of january 1st yeah, no, but think of that january 1st kickoffs at 8 30 means it'll be 8 45 8 50 and then on january 3rd you're gonna kick you could possibly have an 8 30 kickoff on a sunday night how crazy is that 18 years ago uh, it was January 3rd, Friday night. Ohio mm-hmm. State beats Miami to win the national title. Then it was January 5th, yes. Sunday, the last time the Browns played a playoff game. Yes, yes, yes. And I remember where I was at for both. We're two weeks short of being 18 years separated from that. Uh, 18 wow. years. That yeah. All right. Um, look, it is at a fever pitch. You know, this Browns team has done good things throughout the year. Um, specifically starting in week two. They've played an exciting brand. They're clearly well-coached. They're a real relevant NFL team for the first time in a long, long time. But over the last four weeks, they've hit another level. Um, the wins have come that, you know, a loss is in there, but damn felt like a win, right? Yeah. Um, they had a, a, a little bit of a hangover game, and after the first drive, they dominated. I think the Giants gave them a couple gifts, but that was absolutely a clinic. The kind of... Yep almost buzzer-to-buzzer domination you rarely see in the NFL. When's the, um, last, when's the last time we've seen the Browns do that? Yeah. Seriously. I, that's a hard thing. Like, I, I can't – I don't know. You're the historian of, 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 on this podcast. Well, they, they've been few and far, right? Because they are few yeah, and far because yeah. that, that's the league. I mean, look, people got knocked out of survivors this week, Jerry, because the Rams lost to the Jets who hadn't won a game all year and had no business right. winning and had – 
did not benefit by winning. And then the very right. next day, the Steelers as 14-point favorites mm-hmm. against the Bengals starting their third quarterback of the year go and lose the game. So, like, Do you know? In Do you know league, quickly for, for, for the degenerates, quickly. Do you know that's the first time since the mid-'70s that two teams that were, that were um, favored by plus 14 both lost in the same week? I did not know that, but that makes sense. And I, I can tell you that um, the sports books had a very good night on Monday night because a lot of people not only bet the Steelers, but Steelers mm-hmm. money line connected to everything in the world. And here come the Bengals and do the unthinkable, really, <laughs> right? Hey, hey, I lost 50 bucks at halftime. I bet my neighbor <laughs> that 50 bucks the Steelers will come back and win. Yeah. He couldn't wait to tell me in front of my dad today. Actually, he was good about it, but I was wrong. I thought the Steelers would come back and win. Well, so everybody knows the layout by now, Um, and that's that the Browns need to beat the Jets. And if they do and the Steelers win this week, then the Steelers win the division, but the Browns clinch the playoffs for the first time in 18 years. And then week 17 is a scrimmage, and, and we go forward. However, if the Browns win this week and the Steelers lose and they're going in the complete wrong direction, then that will set up a game which will almost automatically be moved to Sunday night football. Um, Browns versus Steelers, winner wins the division, and then a home game and all that comes with it uh, in week 17 in Cleveland. And it's just – it's been so long, as you know. Um, Week six in this year was a long time ago, but the Browns did not belong on on the field with the Pittsburgh Steelers that day. They did not. That game was over in about nine minutes. Of, of not of game yeah. time, of real time. Like at one oh nine, it was right. fucking over, right? Um, that was a, well. That was <laughs> remind, remind me of that because that's the Baker throw that that yeah. pissed me. That and the Jacksonville throw to two throws. Yeah, the, they 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 hurry up and they score a defensive touchdown. They get a stop. They get the ball back and it and it's over, right? So that's how far the that get that game was in mid October. So now we're in mid December. That's how far the Browns have come in two months. Um, no doubt, the quarterback, the passing game have taken. New leaps are playing with a level of confidence that wasn't there before. They're opening up areas of the playbook and the game plan that, that weren't there before because he's making throws from the pocket. Um, they're confidently attacking when a corner is down to guys like Higgins. Peoples-Jones is a keeper. He's nowhere near finished product. He's nowhere, nowhere near a great player right now, but he goes in and he produces, and he's a big target. He's a baby deer out there. Uh, he's 21 years old, and – you know, they've kept – I don't know what's up with Kareem Hunt because he clearly did not get his normal reps the other night. Um, but they've kept these guys in the garage for the most part, Dre. Like, they haven't overworked either one of them. They had another O-line injury, and we'll see. Um, you know, the defense still shaky. There's no more Colt McCoys on the schedule. But, like, you are playing your best ball right now. You've proven able to attack teams in different ways. And I'll just say this, if the Steelers don't win this week, and, and again, I don't expect them to because I've watched every snap of their last three games and they're playing with no confidence and no rhythm. Yeah. Then they come into Cleveland and they're in deep shit because the Browns' offense is humming. And the Brown, the well, way the Browns play defense, assuming they have Denzel Ward and Miles Garrett, they'll do the same thing that the last three opponents have done to the Steelers. Yeah. Well, Z, I'll put it this way on the Steelers quickly. If they don't compete against the Colts, after what happened Monday night, they're done anyway. They're done. They're cooked. You know, like, because the problems have been different. And, like, they haven't played a complete game. They were the worst 11-0 and team that I had ever seen. And I said that. And, and Rob, I hope you listen to this podcast, even though you've been flipping me off for the last 45 days, four or five days, because I keep messing with you and I need to stop. Um, my, Dennis, my, my, I hope my Steelers' best friends will listen to this podcast, because I love fucking with them. And they want to kick my ass right now because I keep telling them bathroom bin is done. Um, but they've been there. This doesn't surprise me if you really watch them. And I know most of their games are at the same time as you're working, Zach. But they have not been complete all year. They've not developed that offensive line. Benny Snell's their best running back, but you never know it because they don't. They, I don't think they've given a running back 15 carries in a game. Maybe, maybe against the, the Browns, the one game where they got a lead. Um, Connor is just not it. He, doesn't, he has no wiggle. Um, and in saying all of that, because of the weaponry that they have, the offense, I think, can bounce back. Their problem is, Zach, their three best defenders outside of 39, because Mika is a, is a beast. Um, Devin Bush went down in the Browns game at ACL. Bud Dupree, who gave the Browns six, 
in, in the week six game. Sat out with an ACL. The kid from what, Central Michigan or whatever, the undersized white linebacker or what, was Spillane or whatever? Spillane, yeah. He's, he's now out with the, with the knee injury. Um, they, that's, their defense just doesn't have the same kick to it because the way they play, you need middle linebackers that can turn and run with, with guys. Um, so, and, they, and now they're not getting the pass rush because they don't have the Bud Dupree's and, and Watt you can double and do things of that nature with. Um, they, they're dealing with some depth issues. They really are. But I, I can't say that I, I can't sit here and just think that Indianapolis is going to beat them because, as we both know, and everybody that's watched, Indianapolis is a solid B minus team. They wait for you to make a mistake. And when you make a mistake, they pounce upon it. Uh, otherwise, they're going to kick field goals, keep the game close for the most part. Um, you can, they're beatable. And I just think with Tomlin as their coach, with Ben having one, with Ben and those receivers, I can't see them sitting back and get, and taking it and taking it and not coming into Cleveland. But I hope I'm wrong. I well, I just think January third to mean something. I just think that the game plans have been so spot. They're clearly searching, right? And I don't know yeah. if it's the run game, if the O line doesn't give them a chance in the run game. But to me, the Bengals game. Like, just the turnovers, their stupid mistakes. Their defense is still great. You're right, it doesn't have those guys. It's still a top five defense and maybe top three. But you cannot hand consistently hand the other team the ball at your 30, 35-yard line and expect them to not score, right? No doubt. doubt. Especially when you do it three times in a half, like, your guys are going to break. They're going to find you. They're going to find ways to attack you, right? Um, Right. Yeah, so Wait, let me let me all right, let me let me go back though. Let me go back. I want to talk Browns though, off of this. Um, I'm glad you brought up how long ago the Browns Steelers game was and how different both teams are playing. Because it's obvious the Browns are getting hot at the perfect time. Uh, there's no better time to get hot the way they are hot. And in saying that, I have to say that I give all the credit in the world to the one and only Baker Mayfield because you take and maybe it's how Zach and I talk, and maybe it's because how we've always discussed this team. And I know some people out there feel like we have this, this, this pure disdain for the Browns organization. And that's not true. I mean, there's times where there are things that that have graded at me or bothered me because of of personal things. And I try my best not to make things personal. I guess when it comes to the game of football, though, outside of who I've worked for, who I've gotten a check for or anything of that nature, I grade football. Look, I can't grade the Cleveland Indians players on this podcast the way I can Cleveland Browns players. I think it's pretty obvious. I cover them daily, and I know things daily about them. And that's the other part. I know things about some of those players that I, I, it's not fair for me to talk about without giving them their fair place to talk back when I know personal things about them. I don't know personal things about Browns players the way I used to. I don't know personal things about everybody in the NFL the way I used to. I mean, I still know people, and I still got them. Um, but I do, and I think Zach does this. And I do, and I and I respect this about Zach. And I know it doesn't come off well to everyone else, and everyone doesn't appreciate it. They think that he's this swarmy asshole. I had somebody tweet me during the game the other day. Um, wow, great podcast, but but if I tell Zach Jackson I disagree with him, he just cuts me off or, or blocks me. And I chuckled, and I refrained from going back at the guy. Um, so I get that we can come off as all knowing, and that can piss people off. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll drop my hat on that. But I'm going to say this: I grade football players and football teams and the way guys do football plays. Um, I wouldn't say harshly, but I know what the fuck I can, what I'm seeing. And I know it, and it's not because I'm a know-it-all, but I, I talk to the right people. I've been coached by the right people. Um, and, and I hate saying it like that because it comes off arrogant. I don't want to be arrogant. I love the game of football. I've loved it my entire life. I, all my notebooks, when I should have been writing and coloring and, and finding out what the five food groups were, are all football, are all X's and O's, football plays. You can find all my old you know, knapsacks. They're all my old paper books. They all have plays in them. That's what I've always done and always loved. I've had uncles that coach and things of that nature. So when I harshly say something about Baker Mayfield, it's not because I don't like Baker Mayfield. When I harshly said something about Johnny Manziel, it wasn't because I hated Johnny Manziel because I could have told you places he was doing coke and doing other things, waiting for other people, but I would never do that because that's not my place. That's not, it wasn't my place or my job to tell them somebody what they're doing personally in their life. All I'm talking about when I'm talking about on this podcast or anywhere else about a quarterback or about any football player is what's being seen on the field. And I know a couple of weeks ago when Zach basically said, hey, right, he said a month and a half ago, this wasn't personal, people. The quarterback was at a 60% clip in accuracy. That's not good enough for a guy 
that has this offense and has everything around him. And the, most of the criticism that we gave, I feel like Baker Mayfield would completely agree with. <laughs> now, in saying that, the kid has taken off and he's gone to another level in the last four and a half, five weeks. He's gone to a level of a guy that now, when you go into a game, the best thing the Browns have going for them is you no longer can say, well, you got a better running game. If they don't stop the running game, we'll win. The Browns can win two different ways now against good defenses, bad defenses, good weather, bad weather. And I will never stop, and I will never stand in the way of, of, of how I feel about someone to criticize them just to criticize them. He's played out of his ass, and he's played great, and he's played exciting, and he's been accurate, and he's thrown the ball in places that no one else can get the ball. And there's time I could question the touchdown to Jarvis Landry, but really the chief fell down and he didn't deserve to get the ball thrown to him because he slipped when he should have been standing in the end zone by himself. And if you got an arm and your arm is strong enough and you can throw that ball to Jarvis the way he did, God bless you, tip your hat, you can get away with it. Touchdown. It's extraordinary what he's doing. And if he keeps doing this and this truly becomes who Baker Mayfield is, Browns football is going to be exciting for the next decade. And that's what we're getting at when we called him average or when we looked at certain things. There were average things that happened. You can't go into Pittsburgh and on your second pass of the game, in a game where you're trying to say, all right, we're one of the big boys, you cannot throw the ball to Mika Fitzpatrick on a robber coming down on a defense that they've run forever, and especially throw it to 39. You can't do that and be considered elite or above average. You can't do that. You can't. And the perfect example off of that is on Monday night against Baltimore, you ain't seen no shit like that early in the game. He played like an elite quarterback against Baltimore early, set the tone, and it set the tone really from the moment they went out and kicked Jack, or t- Tennessee's ass. It set the tone for who he is and what this team is offensively. So when I was harsh on the throw in Jacksonville where he throws it over uh, Hollywood's head in the end zone, I wasn't harsh because the throw was the shittiest throw of the week. I was harsh because that's an easy elementary read that my fat butt sitting on my couch drinking a Christmas ale can see that you've got to have an above-average quarterback has to see. I am going to criticize that. Because that's the difference between a great quarterback and Brian Finley, who threw for 80 yards and had the time of his life Monday night against Pittsburgh. You guys want to be great. You guys want to wear the T-shirts. You guys want to to throw prom pictures up when they wear orange pants. You guys want to be considered elite. You guys want all of that. And I'm for it. But you can't cry about real criticism when it happens. That's all I'm going to get at, and that's all I'm going to say. And I know there's people right up to the game. What do you think of Baker now? What the hell do you think I think of him? <laughs> yeah, I mean, fucking awesome. The game, <laughs> right. You play the games, right? You play to right? win the game. No, um, yes. I've said all along, like, and this has been to his detriment at times, and it's what's made him so popular at times. What he's doing and how he's feeling is out there, right? Like, it's right. in your face. That's his personality. That's his body language on the field. Uh, I think he's being a little more presidential. He has certainly been more successful. He is certainly on the same page with his receivers, with his coaches. And they have found a groove. And the numbers speak for themselves, right? Like, this team has gone over 30 points in half of its games. Dre, they did it. 40 more than 40 points in two straight games against two playoff teams. Yeah. And then they got a game to where they didn't need, but here's what Stefanski did. He looked and he saw how that game was shaping out and they lost Hubbard and and that the giants were getting cute. And he said, all right, well, we we just need to throw like we, we have picked out some holes in their zone all week. So let's really attack them. And they kept doing it. Austin Hooper, who they paid a bunch of money, who hasn't really been involved in the offense for all sorts of reasons, they kept going to him, and it worked. Right, Jarvis, brand new player, healthy the last three weeks. They went to him a little bit, it worked. All of a sudden, the other guys were open. I mean, you don't do 95-yard scoring drives at any level by accident, but certainly not in the National Football League. They did two of them. 84% completion percentage. I don't care who you are, who you're playing, that's impressive. He's raised it to that next level. And now as we're looking at the playoffs and they're not clinched and that's nerve-wracking, or they could play the Steelers and still win the division, which seemed impossible six days ago, let alone six weeks ago, right? That's exciting as all hell. I mean, this team gets in, they could score 45 on somebody. They could. They could yeah. give up 45, they're, right? But, right, right. like, they, they are playing well at the right time because they're doing the right things and they resemble a high-level NFL football organization. Even – 
Dre, okay, this is week 16, right? Even in week 11 when they were winning, if you really ranked the NFL team, and, and power rankings are just fodder, they're clickbait, there's something to talk about, right? right. Right, but you could have said, right. well, the Browns are 12th or the Browns are 22nd. And you, in whichever side you took, you could have made a strong case for, right? Yeah. But they've played so much yeah. better since then. And, 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 and that's the, the tip of the cap. Yeah, absolutely. And I just look at this coach and I just look at this core of guys that are 25 for the most part. And I say, hey, like, this is pretty good. So you never know. You never know what bounces and what scheduling gods and what injury gods and what things are going to be on your side. So you never don't go for it for the lack of a better word. Right. But like, right. They're opening a window of contention here. They're nearing some key decisions in a growing and evaluating year. They're 10 and four. They're about to play huge, 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 huge games. Right. And win or lose or draw, wild ass week seventeen or scrimmage week seventeen, like they're eighty percent. I guess it's ninety two percent by the computers going <laughs> to the playoffs, and they get a chance to keep this magical season going and really get a better read. I mean, you blew up the whole thing again just a year ago, and then you had the strangest right. off season and shortest off season of all time. Like, right? It's it's all positive. It's all exciting. Um, and if, yeah. And, if and I don't know if they'll beat the Titans the second time around, but they kicked their they ass the first time. And if the Titans don't figure out a way to get some pressure back there, the Titans will give up 40 points again. Yes, they will. Because, well, they got a Dory Jackson back, and they play, but they still can't get to the quarterback. They got Clay Matthews begging, begging to get back on the field. Yeah, I saw that tweet. Team. You saw that tweet? That was yeah. awesome. Um, another thing, caps off to Andrew Barry. And I say that you mentioned the Chris Hubbard uh, – tweet and, and it was funny to see you actually tweet with me before a game since you didn't text all day Sunday man this Dayton thing and you having a real job is really fucking up our text messages on game day. <laughs> anyway <laughs> anyway um and I thought that was gonna be a problem I thought on Sunday and I there wasn't no job I said yeah I read that but, but I, I know what I see too and I know that kid from Clemson is a player and I know Williams is a player as well I was worried about Chris Hubbard on Sunday and it sucked I don't know Chris Hubbard personally, but I know everything I read about him. Um, he seems like the, per- the type of guy. He reminds me of like a Hank Fraley, a guy that you just need in the locker room that keeps guys together. Correct. Just Lyman, Lyman are a different breed, and a lot of fans don't get to know them, know them because they almost have a they almost have a thing amongst themselves not to let you personally in on the offense. The offensive linemen are the coolest people on the team usually. The smartest, the coolest, the most. And I no offense to the other guys, but the most down to earth, kind of like bullpen guys in baseball. Um, I just. They're the salt. They're, you know what I mean. They're the good people. They're the fun people to get to know if you get to know them. And for Chris Hubbard to go down after the second snap of the game, Zach, and you bring in a kid who went to Washington who was supposed to be the backup center. He's a swing guy suddenly. And, yeah, he gave up a sack. And, yeah, he had a couple of plays that were tough. You didn't see a difference. What, Callahan, what they're doing on that offensive line and to draft a kid who didn't play, he had no preseason games, um, I'm not used to giving this type of credit to the Browns front office but there's something special when you draft guys that late in the draft and they step in and they don't embarrass you and they don't hurt you just like people's jones these aren't the guys that were drafted on day one these are the guys drafted a couple days later when most of you know when most people aren't paying nearly as much attention and you and i've said this for a long time so i gotta call us on this we've always said when you start hitting on your late round picks who can just fill in fill right in and you don't miss the beat you've become a legitimate team like you've become a legitimate contender and that's what Harris proved the other night that okay we're down to our third guard in the past man that means your quarterback is I mean you saw Baker's reaction in the past that meant okay we got to scrap our playbook now they did run everything left I I noticed what happened and they they were probably doing that anyway they probably weren't going to run at Lawrence anyway sure but all the runs all the runs were to the left hope that they would overcompensate and have the cut back late it's a great it's the opposite of what they do when Wyatt Teller's playing when Wyatt Teller's playing they do everything right to have the big cutbacks and big plays left late. But because they didn't have Wyatt Teller, these are the keys that I pick up on and you watch. And this is why Stefanski is so fucking good. It's like, okay, you guys got a great interior defensive line. We don't have our best interior you know, lineman when it comes to blocking. So we'll flip it and run behind our, our Pro Bowl left guard and see where that takes us. That comes from great scouting by the, by the top. Of, I, 
I'm just saying, Andrew Barry and those guys, they've done some good stuff that we don't even talk about because everyone's falling in love with the quarterback, and that's fine. Because everyone's falling in love with Chubb, that's fine. There's some good things going on that aren't getting talked yeah. about and painted very well. And I guess that's just part of it. But that's the good thing. Defensively, Carl Joseph, quick story. I got to tell my buddy's wife, huge Raiders fan. And we were all on a FaceTime when the, when, uh, when the Browns were they – had, they had a baby. Shout out to Ashley and Dennis. They had their baby um, two Mondays ago on Monday night when the Browns were on Monday Night Football. So we were on FaceTime meeting their little kid, meeting a new little one. And because um, we were pretty tight with them, we went and saw them when their first time they had a kid. And obviously, we can't do shit that we usually do. So we FaceTime. And, and like when they called, Jen was like, Dennis and Ashley are, are FaceTime. And I was like, don't they know the fucking game is starting? Uh, exact words I said. And Jen looked at me. <laughs> Jen looked at me and rolled her eyes and answered. And I had to smile and answer. And as the Browns defense was getting roll called, Ashley, who just had a baby like six hours before that, she's in excruciating pain. She looks over and goes, the Browns fucking have their starting Carl Joseph? Yuck. <laughs> now, she's a huge Raiders fan. <laughs> well, but that made my night. And that's why I love Ashley. And he played his ass off this past Monday. Night, yeah, you know, Monday you, you named some guys, um, Hubbard and, and then Harris and Peoples-Jones. You know, I could keep going Higgins, uh, Kevin Johnson, Malcolm Smith. Like, when these guys are ready when called upon, like – once it's professionals, right? There's expectation. This is what their jobs are. Study, know right. your playbook, be in shape, be ready. Like quit the low bar shit, right? But right. when it happens right. again and again, Dre, that is a sign of good coaching, of good culture, of good leadership, right? Because yeah. so many times, and not just in losing seasons, honestly, you get to a certain point, especially when there's life circumstances going on now, Right, especially when these guys are getting the minimum time together and they're not really bonding and they're, you know, they're out for themselves and their own money, which they all are. Like, right. it's hard to build that. But all of a sudden, you get something special where guys want to be involved. You know, where the GM instead of just cutting Chris Hubbard and saying you're no good, thanks, the old regime signed right. you and you stink. They sign right. him and they tell him we want you here because we know guys like you, like you just said. We know that the offensive line is generally the smartest guys on the team and the coolest guys on the team, and we've invested too much in the first five to not have number six be worth a shit. Like, right. these are the right. little smart things that this Browns group has done that no other group has done. You know, and, right. and I was not in a quarterback's meeting last year when Drew Stanton was here and Ryan Lindley was here and Freddie was here, but I can tell you that I got the vibe that it was the quarterbacks versus everybody else. Right. Mm -hmm. Just from watching body language, just from right. watching things go on. Well, now I get the vibe that the whole locker room can't wait till Baker starts singing TLC. Right. Right. Well, like, I get the vibe yeah. that the whole locker room really likes Hollywood Higgins and wants him to succeed. Yeah. You know, good point. Like, great point. Yeah. So guys have stayed ready. And again, like this just shows you how hard it is. This team could be eleven and five and miss the playoffs. This team could mm. be eleven and five and be the seven seed, right, and get drubbed in the first right. round of the playoffs. Right. But here we right. are, two games left in a pandemic year, in a year with a new regime, three years separated from being fucking winless, and they're ten and four, and all their goals are in front of them. Real goals, not not just yeah. the medium goals we all had, which is show us you have professionals, show us you can get in and out of the huddle. <laughs> Show us you can have less right. than 89 penalty yards in a fucking half, right? Like, <laughs> right. Like, the, those were the realistic goals for this year. <laughs> and, they, and they surpassed them. And to go off of your point, those were the, the goals. To go off of that point so well, no matter what happens in the last two weeks, they've made huge strides, and they are a real franchise. And yes. they now are in the same – they're in the same – they can be talking about the same boat as the rest of the AFC North. And, that, and that's, that's a beautiful step. And it's great that they have it. Yes. Let me ask this, because I still want to get a couple more congrats, congrats in there before we get out. Um, you did a story. I haven't read it yet. I, I will. Um, I, know, I know your music taste. I know how far it goes. I know both of us at times, probably our age, uh, we roll our eyes at some things that are done by the younger generation because we're old and we're becoming our, our fathers and we like wearing sweatpants. Um, the story you wrote today on Baker Mayfield using the TLC um, song, lyrics, or whatever else, how much – just take the young people, and, and, and maybe it only interests me, but I think it interests more. 
Um, take us through the process of writing a story where you have to find lyrics from a group that was hot when you were in high school, college. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, TLC's big hit was in, or their their first big album was 94. Baker was born in 95. 94, right. I was a freshman in high school. Right? So, right. Um, you know, he came out on Monday Night Football and revealed that, that they give him a movie quote or, or a song quote every week Bob in the room, and he gets fined if he doesn't do it, you know. Um, it's little things like that, right? And he really only forced it once, and he almost started laughing. Like, it's fun. Um, you know, he's the king of the city. He was his rookie year, Dre. It, it, it didn't, and I really didn't honestly mean this to be a pun when I bring up the word king here, but it didn't really feel earned, and then it, everybody felt burned because it felt a little premature right. last year, right? Right. Well, now right. he's playing like it again. And as I said, and I thought you did a great job earlier, like, the goal here, the plan here has always been for him to be the guy. They don't want to have to go to plan B, C, D, E. Those, they don't like those. They want him to succeed. The way he's played the last four weeks makes him think. He hasn't won anything yet, but he's changed the outlook, changed the energy, changed the vibe. People are always looking at him, right? As you get a little older, as you get used to that, as you have some success and some failure, which everybody has in this league, mm-hmm. like – Maybe these are signs he's handling all that better, right? Maybe these are signs he's locking in on the playbook and not on his cell phone, right? Like, there's no other way to read it right now than that, right? Like, and and it really does. Like, one of my, of all the Johnny stories you brought up, like, everybody knows if you follow the NFL, if you follow the Browns or or any one team, you know that 90% of the time a team plays on Sunday gathers on Monday, doesn't really practice, they stretch, they jog through, they watch film, they meet, they get treatment, right? And then Tuesday's the traditional right. player's day off. So if you ever right. see an so NFL Monday player <laughs> doing a charity event or hosting a party, it's usually on Monday night or on Tuesday afternoon, right? And then they go back and they practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and they travel on Saturday and walk through and they play on Sunday. Well, like, for the quarterback's they don't get a day off. They get hours off. They get some things. But, like, on Tuesday, they grind tape. They start on that game plan before anybody else gets it. And by the time everybody else comes in Wednesday morning and gets the, the game plan presented to them, the quarterbacks are anywhere between 8 and 20 hours deep of preparation for the next game. Well, one time Johnny Manziel went to a Cleveland State basketball practice on Tuesday afternoon, wasted off his ass. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, like, that's an extreme example, and he was an extreme example. But guys will just tell you, and this is why teams were willing to pay this year Josh McCown to collect a check and not even come to their building. Right. Like, you win on Sunday because on Tuesday you start picking things out, right? You start going over little details of the last game, of the last time you played this team, of how the previous quarterback attacked this team, and you start seeing things and building things. But there's the main, right, there's the main thing to it. The great teams, when they walk in on Wednesday morning like the Browns will tomorrow morning as we speak, Baker Mayfield will already know the 20 plays and the concepts of what they want to do against the Jets. Because the great ones have studied and grinded their ass off Sunday night, Monday morning, Monday during the day. While everybody else goes out and parties and kicks it, the quarterback comes in with the coaches and the great teams on Wednesday, when the Saints walk in, they walk in with Shane, with Shane, oh Shane, with Sean Payton and Drew Brees in lockstep and what they're going to do against their next opponent. That's, That's right. what you have in Baker Mayfield right now. Is the point that you're getting at? Yeah. You don't have to beg, beg. You don't have to beg Baker. He's now in step with the head coach to what they have to do. And when that that guy is there, everybody else falls right in line. When you're ready to win, right? Your quarterback, your coordinator, your quarterback's coach. You're back up, and the quarterback then passes it along to the number one receiver first and the number one tight end first. They're all there. They're all picking each other up, right? And and this is still a run-first team. It sets the table. Like you said, they play differently with Teller than without him, of course, right? They they, they have played differently without Odell. They're not a more explosive offense, but these guys are getting to the spots, you know, like these guys, they have achieved the type of chemistry and timing – um, that you need, right? And then what's great about it, what's exciting about it is the day you're off one bit, 
Like good teams eat you up. So you have to keep working. You can't take a Tuesday off, right? No. But no. The, the fever pitch is going to be there. If you ask right now who's yeah. the favorite in the AFC North in 2021, well, I don't know, but the Browns are in the discussion, right? Yeah. Like yeah, the Ravens Browns, don't Ravens, fear Ravens, the Browns. Browns. The Ravens don't fear anybody. They respect the hell out of them. I mean, Ben that's looks as, can, Hey, yeah. yeah, that's all you can ask for from the Ravens, by the way. <laughs> right, right. So they, they have made strides in this season right now with two games left is a rousing success. It's what you do from oh. here. It's what Andrew Barry decides from here. It's how Stefanski continues to evolve. Because just a little thing here, Drake. They destroyed the Titans on the play-action rollouts. The last two weeks where defense is coming yes, from Baker. Off that edge. Yes. They're not going to let them yep. do it. Right? Not letting it, them do it. It never stops in this league. There's too much information. The players are too good. The, the margins are too thin. So you have to keep going. Momentum is real. It's real. We'll see if it they can real. ride it out. And they should beat the Jets. Great thing. It won't be yeah. easy. And then maybe, hey. maybe we get week 17 for all the marbles. And gosh darn, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. Quentin Williams can play. If he's healthy, it's going to be another load to the inside of this offensive line. Because Jason Treader, he limps after every play. And I'm not saying, he's, like, he was legitimately hurt, got his leg whipped. And he kept playing. Dude, he has played on one leg for like eight years now. Yes. God bless that guy. Like, seriously, those are the type of guys you put statues up. Um, I don't. I only brought up Quentin Williams because I brought up the Jets because I know he can be a problem at times. Uh, there was one other player I wanted to bring up that I was going to move on. Oh my god! Oh my god! I got to find. Oh, and in the scheming, Kevin Stefanski is so good. Um, Munch Bishop, this moment is for you. God, I love you, and I wanted to punch you the other night. Um, when I brought up Jabril Peppers being quiet and not around on Twitter the other night, it wasn't to have a conversation about Jabril Peppers and, and what strip clubs he frequented and him being from Michigan. The kid, and then somebody brought up his TFF numbers. Don't do that with me, please. Um, the point I was making is, like, regardless of how we feel about him, and he would look good in the Browns uniform right now, by the way. Uh, yeah. Regardless of how we feel about him, the Giants love him, and they love putting him in the box, and they love his. They love that he has brought a tough guy mentality to their defense against the run. So what the Browns do, because they're a little thin at wide receiver, because they don't have OBJ, this is what I love about, this is what I love about Browns football. I'm a nerd. Kevin Stefanski comes out in run-type offensive set. They bring a guy like Peppers in a box. Then they motion him out of being in, in the box and make him play deep safety. And then they throw passes. Like, they throw more passes out of run formations than anybody else in the NFL. They didn't – I mean, how many times – and uh, this is because they play in front of the sticks as well. Another nerd term, but it's true. I, I don't even have the nerd numbers in front of me. They've got to be one of the teams, one of the least teams to run four wide sets in the whole NFL. Because everybody runs four wides now, right, Zach? You yeah, barely but not see the them. Browns in shotgun, not the Browns, and that's because they use these double tights and they use the three tights. But my point is, they run plays just like teams that are in three wide and four wide, but they do it by disguising it with tight ends and with power run looks and with all these and putting the tight end, the second tight end in the backfield, motion them one way, and what that does is confuse the shit. And takes takes all of the, it takes everything away from a guy like Peppers. So my point to the tweet was, this offense is taking Peppers out of his game because they're checking him out of what he wants to do. Peppers wants to come sit down in the box, read the first step of the running back, and go beat him in the hole. You can't do that when you're constantly motioning. You're showing to what you're, you're, you're you don't have a strong side per se because you got two tight ends on both sides, so you're you're level in the field. Like these are all nerd things. But it's beautiful what Kevin Stefanski is doing. So when I said that, I'm giving credit to the Browns' offensive scheme and how they're taking advantage of their players. I'm not sitting here trying to glorify one way or the other about Peppers. Peppers is the guy that's led them in, t- in run-stuffing plays. That's all I was getting at, he had none on Sunday night. Tip of the cap to the Browns. Hooper, that's who I want to bring up. Um, God bless him. He can block. He can catch the ball. Um He's right up there with um, how I was called Jay Novacek. He's about as fast as Jay Novacek is the point I'm getting at. That man don't got much foot speed, man. He's right, he really does. Like, he's got a lot of boxes checked, and God bless him for getting that check, but speed ain't one of them, Z. No, um, but to get him open. But he fits the scheme. Yeah. yeah he fits the scheme. Fits no, the I, scheme. I will close what you're saying by this. Like, you know, we, we give our opinions, Right. 
And sometimes we're right and sometimes we're wrong. And sometimes, a lot of times through the years, I've sat in that press box and I've been able to diagnose things, either players or, in this case, I'm more specifically talking about plays. And I've thought, man, that's really scary that I knew what was coming because I don't grind 100 hours right. on this like these other teams do. Right? right? And so that's really bad. It's really bad football. That's really bad drafting. That's really bad whatever. You just sit back and watch some of these Stefanski plays, and it is beautiful. Like, yeah. it is beautiful the way guys go to one place or two guys start running one way and the play comes back the other or three guys go out and all of a sudden one of them's wide open, right? Like, right. you don't see it. So you don't see it uh, or you haven't seen it here. Um, it, it, yeah. He's not the only great play designer in the league, right? They're not the only yeah, offense that's of- humming. But just go back to a month ago and the Browns are playing really, really well. They have warts. They have flaws. They benefited from playing Colt McCoy. There's and Joe Ooh, Judge doing boy. what he did, no doubt. Ooh. But they're playing fun that. football. Wait, 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 time out. Time yep. out. You were against Joe Judge doing that. And I was too. And, and Chris Collinsworth irritates me. And I don't listen to him all the time. But he did make a good point towards the end of the game. And I agree with him. Joe Judge is no dummy. He knew they had to score points. And he tried to, and he tried to steal one. He lost the steal. Don't kill him for that. That was, yeah, that but, was him but Dre, the like, that's him tipping the cat, though, to the Browns going. We just, need, that's like the onside kicking at the beginning of the Super Bowl. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, but those, those plays, man, like, those are based off a read like you see, right? So as soon as you don't see that, you don't leave your punter out there to throw a fucking football. If you no, want to go for it, go kicker, for it. That's fine. Right. If you want to say, hey, we're here to show that we're going to win and we know we're not going to beat the Browns by kicking field goals. That's fine. Right. That's but as soon as it's not there, it's dumb. It's terrible. And well, what, what are you working hundred hour weeks what, for? Right, but what? Because of, I'll ask. I'll ask. And this isn't even a fight. I love having these conversations because the main goal of that is that the center was eligible, and how many teams will pick up on that? You know, what, you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, they were still buying into he's going to snap, and nobody's going to, no one's going to cover him, and this will work. Now the Browns end up double covering him, and they end up leaving the kicker wide open over the middle. But obviously, I can't blame the punter for not going to the second read. But if he goes to the second read, they look like geniuses. (laughs) So, yeah, I know why you're saying it, but that was – that. Joe Judge told us all we needed to know right then and there where the Browns are at. Because the Browns are usually the team trying some bullshit, wacky, five-year-old football-type shit to try to win a game, and now they're doing it against them. So, really, that's a tip of the cap to where the Browns are at. Joe Judge was like, we can't win kicking field goals against them. When can we say that about the Browns? Yeah, um, not not for a long time. I mean, the Browns opened as ten point favorites this week, like ooh, on the ooh. road. <laughs> ooh, wait, I can't wait! I can't wait to, remember, to read the degenerate corner this week. All right, as we get out of here, let's let's conclude with some more congrats. Uh, and congrats! If you don't know what congrats means and what, why we use it, if you. You should be able to figure it out off of what we've been doing yeah. uh, with this pod. You can go back and find our old pods. If you want to find it, go out, shout out little Mikey on Twitter. He finds all our old podcasts and bring them back to life for you. Uh, if you listen, if you listen through the, I want to say it was an Apple that he, uh, he went through for our old uh, podcast. He went, he found some old old ones. Um, so if you're looking, you want to know. Um, I don't know the whole situation in Kentucky, but I do know what Kentucky basketball stands for when it comes to bringing in young phenom players and trying to get them to the NBA in one year. And I know their coach, John Calipari, is very good at selling um, hope to these kids and not dope um, and selling that he was a single child just like these kids. And he tells these moms, I'm going to get these kids into school and I'm going to get them to take care of you like I had to take care of my mom. He doesn't sell. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get you. um, I'm going to get these kids uh, graduated. He sells. I'm going to get them to the NBA and I'm going to play them and I'm going to play all of them. And, you know, all these top recruits can all come for me and I can get them all to the league and I'll come sit at the table like their daddy with them on, on draft day when it's not virtual. Um, I usually like Calo Perra. I don't like what happened this week and how he called out a player for wanting to play. Um, so he gets a congrats. And it's a hard congrats because I know a lot of people think he's swarmy and he's dirty and he's ugly and all these other things. I don't always see that. I kind of can play along with what he does, um, even though it's not always legal, but it's the NCAA. I don't like calling out a young 18-year-old kid because the kid's pissed off he wants to play. Do you discipline kids like that that have that, that do that? Sure. But you're playing a different game, John, with how you sell these kids to come to your school and play for you. Um, you got to understand in this day and age that every kid isn't going to toe the line and do exactly what Uncle Johnny says 
uh, especially in a year like this where suddenly this kid who was being told, you know, six months ago, a year ago, um, that he was going to be a top five, top ten pick, whether it's true or not, congrats. Um, you have to know what these kids are hearing and what they're going through and react better than they do. He went on Twitter like you or I. He went on Twitter and, like, and like spelled it all out. That's not for everybody's business. Just if you're a suspended kid, suspended kid. Um, I just didn't like how he handled that. That's my, that's my congrats to John Calipari. Uh, my congrats would be to James Harden. <laughs> <laughs> um, but really, it's it's to the NBA, which is starting tonight. Uh, as we started this podcast, the Warriors and Nets were tipping off, so I haven't seen a bounce yet. Um, I'll stay up for first quarter of Lakers Clippers. That's about it. But what recourse do the do the tech or <laughs> the Rockets have? Texas. None. I mean, you find None. James Harden fifty grand, right? That's a happy hour for him. Right, literally. And all he's doing is reducing his already low trade value for you. So you know what? Here's you know the story with the Houston Rockets and James Harden. Um, It's a lot like um, life, boys and girls. Be careful who you um, who you who you sell your soul to. They've sold their soul to the wrong person. You know we we beat up LeBron and and different players. And literally, LeBron is the fault of this, but LeBron has never truly done this all the way. LeBron has controlled where he's at and who his partner is over a lifetime. And I know he always didn't like it around here, but he controlled his destiny. The Houston Rockets sold their heart, sold their destiny to a guy that likes strip clubs, likes ho-hos and hoes, more than he likes playing basketball at times. And, and they've catered to him so far. They, they catered to What do you call my kids all the time? Spoiled. There's a word you call my a, other than short, asshole. <laughs> Spoiled. <laughs> Spoiled. You can't spoil someone like James Harden is what the Houston Rockets are finding out. Other than short asshole. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been living in that, that house, Dre? Six years now? Seven? Six. Yeah, six. <laughs> Every year I come over and drop something off at Dre's for Christmas. And whether I stay or not, I always say, man, it must. It, it's so weird when you come to this house because you look up and you know nobody in this house is tall enough to look out the door and see who it is knocking. <laughs> <laughs> that literally happened like our second New Year's there. I can't believe I'm, I'm falling into your short joke, but this is a good one. So we have a neighbor who's like six foot six. Uh, his name is Big Mike. And so we're sitting around New Year's and we had just moved there. And we had like, we had like our friend, you know, we had our friends that we've been friends with forever. Pete was there, I think. Um, his wife, uh, Ashley and Dennis, who we talked about. Like, we had just a group of people that didn't know our neighbors. And we were kind of laying. It was like, I don't know, 10 of us. And my, and my old roommate, Nick, um, comes around the corner. And Nick's like, Dre. He's like, this is big-ass white dude. Because he, like, he was like, somebody at the door. I was like, check it out. And he goes, he goes, dog, you can't hide. He goes, you can't treat him like a Jehovah's Witness. I can just see eyes coming up the top of that fucking door. And I look around the corner. I'm like, what the fuck? I can't even see over that. <laughs> <laughs> um guys it's a different holiday been different holidays depending on what you celebrate or what you don't um enjoy be grateful you know do a good deed if you can um there's a lot of football and basketball and a lot of odd times let that keep you busy you know pick up the phone and call somebody oh we don't got to tell you what to do we we genuinely appreciate that you guys listen that you tweet with us did you respect us yes. that you're down with the A to Z brand? When you ask us for more podcasts or tell us you turned on the app and you want that or a go cameo on the show and you guys watch, it means a lot to us. And, and you know, the yeah. times we have been able to do things, you guys have supported us. It's special. It's cool. We're grateful. Uh, the best is yet to come. We both know that. We talk about that. Um, so thank you. Enjoy. Um, spread the joy and shit like that. From a football standpoint, just enjoy it. It's been a long time. Absolutely. Congrats on Christmas, or congrats on COVID, and Konnichiwa to it as well. Um, we've learned a lot about ourselves this year, and I know this is our last year of pot of the year. Um, but as Zach said, and he said it perfectly, enjoy what we have rather than complain about what we don't have. That's all I can say. I'll leave it at that. This was a fun pod, um, and let's hope we have another fun one next week. And maybe we'll have a jet story. Um, for next week where we can bitch about players running out of bounds. And when Eric Mangini taught us, a football game can last five hours if you let him keep kicking onside. (laughs) (laughs) Onside kicks and intentional fall downs are Eric Mangini's (laughs) legacy.
The man was a brilliant football coach. I'll say this. I learned more X's and O's football from that guy than anybody else. Anybody. Yeah. You know who I can put? You know what? And this is a pot. This is where I want our podcast to grow. And I hope it can. He and Kellen Winslow broke down the Browns playbook for me. Unlike anybody's ever broke down a playbook for me in my entire life. For all the problems Kellen Winslow has, and he has them, we know it's well documented. Um, his IQ on the football field, you know this too, Zach, but he took it to another level for me, showing me um, just, and obviously growing up with his dad, um, it was unbelievable. Talk about another language. The way, if he could have handled the rest of his life the way he handled knowing playbooks and way how football worked, um, he was a football genius. And I don't even know why this came up because it crushes my heart what he's been accused of doing and what has happened in his life. Um, and for the people that it's happened to, not him, and for what has happened to his wife and his kids, um, he had an unbelievable mind when it came to the sport of football that, like you said, between him and Eric Mangini, I got to find out and read about football and see football plays broke down in ways that I'd never seen before. And I'll always be appreciative to both of them uh, for doing that for me. All right, guys, um, enjoy it. We will be back. Did you say this is the last one for the year? Or are we taking next no, week off? No, I said it. No, I'm dog. I ain't going nowhere. I, <laughs> I, know. I, 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 might be, I might be ready to do another one on Friday. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> You're so full of shit. No matter the year, no matter the weather, no matter the circumstances, you remain full of shit. That's for sure. Thank my you guys for listening. Get, Talk to you soon. I've got to lose 15 pounds. That might help. <laughs>